This podcast may contain adult language and situations, graphic, gory details, and other not-so-nice things. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Lacey. And I'm Ashley. And this is United States of Murder. This week, we're in Nevada, discussing the senseless murder of a 16-year-old. Then we'll talk about a murderous duo known as the Love Slave Killers. Buckle up and join us on this dark and twisted ride through the Silver State. West Wendover, Nevada. Have you ever heard of it? No. It's 400 miles away from Vegas, and it sits right on the border of uh, Nevada and Utah. Okay. I'm looking at the map, too. Which doesn't help because the whole state borders Utah. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, so that's a big area. So that's not narrowing anything 400 down. 400 miles, okay. So it's home of Wendover Will. Do you know who that is? I have no idea. Doesn't sound familiar to most people, but if you saw the picture, you would recognize it instantly. It's the very tall neon cowboy that's waving and yeah. smoking a cigarette. Yeah. That's where he is. Oh, that's not in Vegas? No. I thought that that whole time was in Vegas. So did I. Well, it's not. So he's kind of waving at passersby to stop Hmm. on the interstate to gamble because there are casinos here. Oh, yeah. It's not far from the salt flats where the land speed records are broken. Hmm. And it's kind of a small town. So there's a lot going on here. It's also home to Michaela Costanzo or Mickey, as everyone calls her. She was a junior in high school, very popular, very responsible, very involved in athletics, and was editor of her school newspaper. Hmm. So this is a small school. There's like 300 people. That's real small. Like the total or her class? Like from what I read, just high school. Oh, that's K through big. 12. That's big. Is it? For me. For me, it is. You're like, that's huge. I'm like, they had a newspaper? That's what? <laughs> Who has that? So she's always very positive and happy. She's the youngest of three girls. She's got a middle sister, DJ, and they're they're not Irish twins, but they're really close in age, mm-hmm. and they're best friends. They have the same friend group. They're wow. just inseparable. Surprising. She's got another big sister named Christina. So on the day of March 3rd, 2011, Mickey had track practice, and that evening when it was over, she headed home. Her big sister, Christina, usually picked her up, but today she didn't. She was out of town. She went to Vegas with her husband to do Mm -hmm. something, so Mickey's going to walk the mile home. Mm. According to security camera footage, she was last spotted at the school at 515. When she hadn't called her mom to let her know she was headed home, her mom called her because... She checked in like a maniac. She, not the mom, the daughter. She would check in and be like, hey, I'm leaving the school. Hey, I just finished track. Hey, I just got home. She hadn't heard from her. Hmm. So every time she would call her phone, it would go straight to voicemail like it was being ignored. You know how you can tell when somebody's. Yeah, I just ignored some calls. (laughs) (laughs) You can tell you do it. (laughs) So it's getting dark outside. So she tries to call, no answer, but her sister's not freaking out. She thinks she's probably just doing teenager stuff, 
Right. You know, she's such a good girl. She's like, good, finally she's <laughs> doing something, you know. So mom leaves work early. She worked at a casino there in town and heads to the school to see if she's still there. It's completely dark and empty. She heads to the apartment and she's not there either. So her mom and sister DJ start calling all of her friends to see if anyone's seen or heard from her. And when they haven't, they call the police. They report her missing. And by the time they do this, there are already over 100 people searching for her. Wow. Just by word of mouth. Like, you called this person, that person. They're telling their parents. They're calling people. They're trying to, this is a small town. Mm -hmm. This shit never happens. Something's, Something's wrong. So, police do begin looking immediately. They tell her mom, go home and wait in case she comes home. Which makes sense. Yeah. Because it's. Still super early, and I hate to say that, but she's not been missing for Mm -hmm. a significant amount of time. So she could still just come home. Right. They said she's probably fine, and if she doesn't come home tonight, she'll probably go to school tomorrow. But the next day, (sighs) when she didn't, her mom knew something terrible had happened. So day two, it's all over the news. They sound hopeful on the news that she's going to be found safely or come back home. She's described as being 5'5", 105 pounds, brown hair, brown eyes. She was last seen in jeans and a dark sweatshirt with white tennis shoes, carrying a black backpack with white hearts on it. So police search the school and her house. They search the surrounding areas. They interview her boyfriend, Javier school friends, and get her cell phone records. The last phone calls and texts were to Cody Patton, and then all the messages and phone calls stopped. That's not her boyfriend. No. (laughs) So Cody is interviewed, and he is her best guy friend. He's like 6'7", he's a senior, he plays football, and the two have been friends since, like, they were kids. They lived in the same apartment complex, like, when they were younger, so... You your apartment complex friends and your school friends. And so mm-hmm. they stayed friends. They had a little bit of uh, puppy love going on for a little bit, but they broke up because hmm. it never lasts. And fast forward, now Cody is engaged and living with his fiance, Tony Fratto, and her parents. And they're Mormons. Her parents? Her parents and her. He's not. Cody is not. Okay. But he did convert to Mormonism while living with his family. Okay. So. I'm guessing separate bedrooms. Oh, they had to wear their Jesus underwear. No, we can't. We can't come for the Mormons. We're not. They do. (laughs) They do wear those. So anyways, Cody tells police he last saw Mickey with a small Mexican guy. Those are his words, not mine. Don't come for me. Possibly her boyfriend. In front of the school. Okay. So he says he saw her. He talked to her outside the school. They went their separate ways. He said after that, he picked up his fiance and they went home. They interviewed the fiance, Tony, and she says, yeah, that's what happened. He picked me up and we went home. Hmm. So they checked him off the list. He's not a suspect. Hmm. Boyfriends checked off the list. He's not a suspect. The police told Mickey's mom, you know, just keep waiting at home. I'm sure it's it's day two. She's probably going to come home. I know. 
So Christina gets back from Vegas. When she finds out she's still not made it home, she tells her husband, you got to take me home. Like yeah. something's wrong. Mickey's missing. She's like, I'm not staying home. Mm-hmm. And she goes out with the other sister, DJ, and they're searching all over town, through the desert, everywhere. So search parties are also searching the desert and the surrounding that surrounds the town. And about five miles out, a searcher notices a pair of fresh tire marks and decides to follow them, which leads him to a brush pile on top of a mound of dirt. And lo and behold, there is a body underneath. It's of a female. They're pretty positive that it's Mickey, since there's no one else missing in this small town. But they have to wait for her to be positively identified and crime scene people are brought in. Right. So, small town, they don't have all the resources that bigger towns do. They didn't want to mess anything up because clearly this is a murder. Mm-hmm. So, the guys from Reno have to head down and it's about a nine-hour drive. So, they're just sitting and waiting. Wow. Not touching anything. Yeah. It was her. She w- was identified. She had been beaten and stabbed multiple times in the face and neck. She had several slashes across her face, head, and neck. Her hands were bound with zip ties. She was then stabbed to death, which was her cause of death. Her throat being cut. It was very brutal. And whoever did this just wanted to destroy her, basically. Was she sexually assaulted? She was not. And... Everyone is going, who who would do this? Yeah. She was so loved by everyone. The whole town showed up for her funeral. It was held in a, like a huge concert hall that uh-huh. held over a thousand people. Her teachers and coaches spoke about what an amazing person she was. And then the school was opened up for students afterwards for like counseling and stuff. Yeah. And there was a memorial scholarship called... The Mickey Spirit of Friendship Award and Scholarship Mm. that was set up. So back to trying to solve this crime. Mm -hmm. No suspects. No witnesses. She had to have been taken either from school or while she was walking home. So they pull up CCTV cameras from the school, go over all of them all over again. And the only person in those videos with her was Cody. (gasps) He was in the same area she was. They see a person following her in the video. It was him. I mean, that sounds like a rage type of killing, you know? With all the face stuff. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I know plenty of psychopaths do that, right. but still. So his original story does not match what this footage is showing. Mm. You didn't see her outside. You saw her in the hallway. It wasn't out front. It was in the back of the school. So they talk to Mickey's mom and she tells him he's a good kid, but he does have a bad temper. Mm. So Cody's brought back in after seeing all this footage and questioned. And according to some of Mickey's friends, he had been sending her cryptic messages for a while, like asking her to come to a project with him, but wouldn't tell exactly what it was. He said the reason why they were texting was because she wanted him to break up with his fiance and get back together with her. Mickey then asked him for a ride home so they could talk about them. And that's it. He took her home and dropped her off. Hmm. The police tell him, which is a lie, because 
police are allowed to lie. Yeah, they are. Police tell him that they test the dirt on his truck and it matched the dirt out where her body was found. Oh, man, that's a good lie. So he freaks out now. That's a good lie. He's like, okay, so, oh, I did go out there. Oh, you just remembered to, that. Yeah, to the desert. To the freaking desert. To the desert. So we could talk about it alone. Mm-mm. And they were like, we know you had something to do with this. We have you on camera waiting for her in the hallway mm. at the school. She was in your vehicle. And you were in the desert with her where she was found. Like, spill it. Yeah. So eventually, under the urging of his father, Cody confessed. He said he saw Mickey outside the school, offered to give her a ride. Once inside the car, he said Mickey told him he needed to break up with his fiance, go out with her. And when he said no, she went ballistic. They ended up driving outside of town where they were arguing. He gets out. She gets out. So now they're arguing on the, in the middle of the desert. And she pushes him, and he pushes her back. She falls and hits her head on a rock mm-hmm. and starts seizing, and her eyes turn black. He said, I didn't know what to do, so I got the shovel out of the car to bury her. But she was still alive, <sighs> so I hit her with the shovel. Uh, what? To knock her out, but I didn't. And she started making all these sounds, so I got a knife. And slit her throat. Instead of putting her back in the car and taking her to a hospital? Instead of getting help, yes. That's what he said he did. Oh, whatever, dude. And then he buried her. Mm-mm. And then he went to another part of the desert and burned all of her stuff. Oh, boy. And they were like, then why did you zip tie her hands? <sighs> he said he was trying to make it look like she had been kidnapped. So they wouldn't think he did it. He is arrested and charged with first degree murder. But so many people are having a hard time believing this. They are like, he's such a good kid. He's a good student. He's a football player. And they were friends. Like even people in her own family were like, we just don't believe that Cody did this. Like, how could he do this? We just don't understand. And when it was known that she allegedly wanted him back. Everybody was like, there's no way. She had a boyfriend. She would not. Mm-hmm. She didn't like drama. She didn't want anything to do with it. She wouldn't Maybe have done this. Maybe he wanted her back. Right. You know? So his fiance Tony, stood by her man. Ew. She supported him. She visited him in jail. She wrote him letters. And Tony probably isn't like what you're thinking she looks like in your mind. She is a very petite, redheaded girl. She's a Mormon. She's a beauty pageant winner. She's really close with her parents. She doesn't have a lot of friends other than her parents and her boyfriend. She is literally like 5'1". She's a teeny little thing. And she loved going to Temple. She was really involved in her church. Very timid. Yeah. She's not like some big... Tony Soprano that's it's got just a, the name yeah, that makes yeah. you think of kind of like a, gangster. a tomboy yeah, type no, of girl that's no, maybe yeah. No, she's like sleeping in hot rollers and she's a pageant girl. Mm-hmm. But not like a mean pageant girl. Like a Mormon pageant girl. Okay. <laughs> Very wholesome. Yes. A wholesome pageant girl. I was thinking of like 
a Joe from The Facts of Life. No. Everyone's like, oh my God, she's that old. No, she's she's not a Joe. I knew exactly who you're talking about. I'm like, no, she's not a Joe. She's a Blair. She's a Blair with red hair. Got it. So a retired Secret Service agent is brought in to investigate Cody and the crime scene in photos. And he was like, something's off. This does not look like an accident. This looks like pure rage. Yeah. So he talks to Tony, the fiance, and she's like, I have no idea why he would do this to her. But she was very emotionless, very stoic. Hmm. But that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. People process things differently. So about two months later, Tony goes into Cody's attorney's office and said she needs to make a statement. <gasps> she said she was there. Oh my god. When Mickey was killed. She said after school that day, Cody texted her, I got her. <gasps> so she gets in the car with them and the three of them drive out to the desert. She said they pulled over. She heard a thud on the car and when she got out, Mickey was on the ground not moving. They then moved her body over to a grave that Cody had dug and she held her legs down. While Cody slit her throat. So she knew they were going to kill her? Yes. Oh my gosh. Then they both started hitting and beating her. Oh. Oh. The attorneys turn her statement over to the police. Because here's the thing. She, they are not your attorney. They are Cody. So there is no client privilege here. You just made a confession and we're given it to the police and they arrest her. And now she's facing capital murder charges. So after her arrest, she confessed to the police. Other things that happened, which were changing her story all up. She said that Cody explicitly told her that they had to kill Mickey and asked her to stand guard while he hit Mickey with the shovel. She said she was a little bit, Reluctant, (laughs) but she did hit Mickey in the shoulder (sighs) while he was hitting her in the head. So then she changes more of her story. It's just, she's just going back and forth. So it's almost like you don't even know what to believe. Right. Cody changes his story now and says that Tony wanted to confront Mickey about their relationship and decided to fight it out with her. So now he's saying, my girlfriend is jealous and this is all her. So now the story's just... What in the world? Yeah. So Tony's parents come forward and they say that Cody must have forced her to do this. He has been physically abusive in the past and was very controlling then kick him out of your damn house, right. okay? Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. So he's a six seven football player. She's five one, petite little thing. There's CCTV video from the school that shows him shoving her against the wall Ugh. and being very aggressive. But she did not press charges because he was planning on joining the Marines after high school, and that would keep him out. So her parents were like. She was scared of him always, and she wouldn't do anything. She wanted to join the Marines, maybe so she could get away from him. But that's all hearsay. We don't Mm -hmm. know that for sure. So in early 2012, 
Cody had the opportunity to take a deal where if he pled guilty to first-degree murder and be able to serve life in prison with the possibility of parole and no death penalty, but he had to testify against Tony. He decided to take his chances in court. He would not testify against her. Really? Yes. That surprises me. Yeah. So they offer Tony a similar deal. If she'll testify against Cody, she could plead to second-degree murder and get paroled after 18 years. She would just be 36 years old. Wow. She took the plea deal. I was like, someone's taking the she deal. She took that deal immediately. Oh, my gosh. And he's like, yeah. wait, what? Right. Like he's that. like, no, I love you. I'm not testifying against you. She's like, fuck you. I'm getting out when I'm 36. Yeah. I'm not God. spending my life in prison. So she did testify for three hours about how Cody hated Mickey and would vent about her. <laughs> she said they drove into the desert, and then she noticed Mickey was in the back seat. Well, okay. So she's changing her story. Okay, you just notice. Yes. A person's in the backseat. This isn't. She said he texted her while they were driving and said, we have to kill her. He took her out of the car, shoved her to the ground and told Tony to hit her. She said she backed off, but he did beat Mickey. She said he kept telling her to hit her with the shovel. Then they pushed her into the hole that he had dug. So her whole story is changing mm-hmm. from the first one she told to the second one she so told. I don't believe like any of it. No. Who knows? Right. And while on the ground, she said she held Mickey's ne- Mickey's legs down. And at some point, Mickey looked up at Cody and asked if she was still alive and if she could just go home. Oh, my God. And that's when he slit her throat. Oh, man. They drove back to town. They went to McDonald's. When then, people freaking yes. eat after this, no. I'm just like, Mm-mm. really? Then they went into Utah and burned all of her stuff. Ugh. Allegedly, Tony was very insecure about her relationship with Cody and about his friendship with Mickey. And she kept a diary and wrote about her insecurities in it. It all came to light after she was arrested. Ugh. She believed Cody loved Mickey. And one day he would leave her. For her. But he did all that to her. I'm just. And Cody began to use this jealousy as a form of entertainment for himself. He would create scenes that he knew she would react to, like texting Mickey and talking to her at school in front of Tony. Like just anti, just you're, you're, you're just feeding the fire. Absolutely not. Just to make Tony jealous. And according to Mickey's family, for months, Tony would verbally insult Mickey, like yell that she's a slut at school and just be kind of mean, which makes me go, why didn't this shit come up when everybody was talking at school? Yeah. So it's like he was trying to orchestrate this to happen. Orchestrate like a a fight. Yeah. But again, Mickey told her sister, I don't like drama. I've got a boyfriend. I just want to stay away from it. She was not interested in Cody at all. But the taunts continued. And Tony was completely convinced that Mickey would ruin her relationship. So, in April of 2012, Tony pled guilty to secondary murder with a deadly weapon in the death of Michaela and was sentenced to life behind bars with the possibility for parole after 18 years. And as of August 2018, she was in the Florence McClure Women's Correctional Center in Las Vegas. 
Cody later gave another version of what happened that day. I'm like, okay, this is enough. Like, we get the gist of it. Why do you keep giving these people chances to change their story? At this point, what do you even know what to believe? Yeah, for real. And do they even remember the truth? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So he said Tony had confronted Mickey in school that day, called her slut. Cody suggested that the two meet to talk it out. Tony said she wanted to fight it out, and Mickey agreed, which I don't know this girl, but I wouldn't I wouldn't think that anyone would be like, yeah, let's fight. <laughs> what the hell? <sighs> but that was as far as he got with his version of the story because his uh, attorneys told him to stop talking. Oh, no. So Cody agreed to plead guilty to first-degree murder to avoid the death penalty as part of The pretense report, he wrote a letter to the judge denying that he killed Mickey. He said the blame lies solely on Tony and that she's the one that slit Mickey's throat, but the judge didn't buy it and sentenced him to life. And so he is incarcerated at the Eli State Prison in White Pine County, Nevada. So Mm. they're, they're both still in jail. Golly. Senseless. That's just so completely up. Completely. Girl, she didn't want your crusty boyfriend. And did he have nothing better to do than to I hate antagonize I, girls? I know men and boys yeah. that like they get off on so weird. The jealous girl. And then they'll be like, She was crazy. Yes. It's I like have you seen drove it. her crazy. I've literally yeah. seen it with my eyes. Oh yeah, they'll do. Yeah, where they real. will openly flirt, even in front of like I know married men who will openly oh flirt in front God. of their wives, and I'm like, you're a piece of shit. And then they'll make them upset at the woman. Yeah, and ugh, yes, for yeah. no reason. And it's just, and for some reason, that works. That that works. Well, yeah. Oh God. Mm-mm. Anyways, let's take a break. Our patron, Jeanette, has mentioned this case to us a couple of times. I had no case, so I went back and typed in Nevada in our email, and I'm like, oh, thank God something came up. (laughs) Yeah, she said she grew up in Sparks, Nevada, and could have easily been a victim of what I'm about to talk about. Oh. I'll explain why later. I don't want to give anything away, but it's pretty wild. Charlene Williams-Galego was born near Sacramento, California on October 10th. 1956. Her father was a businessman who traveled a lot for work, but her mom, who would help her dad, was badly hurt in a car accident. So because of this, she couldn't travel with her husband, so Charlene did. Everyone was so surprised by how smart and well-spoken she was. In school, she was known as quiet and shy, and that's really the last of the good things people ever had to say about her. Yeah, not good. As she got older, she began using drugs and alcohol. She was also super flirty to male co-workers, and everyone at work hated her. She she had the reputation of being a nymphomaniac. How do you have that (laughs) reputation? That's just alleged. People just gossip. I don't know. So she ended up marrying a wealthy man who was also a heroin addict. Not good, obviously. It's going downhill fast. She began using heroin as well, and her parents did not approve of this marriage. But they got divorced, and then she married again. This time she married a soldier who she called a mama's boy. She found him boring. 
her words and divorced him. <laughs> yeah, going from a heroin addict, rich guy, mama's boy soldier. She's like, I know what I want, and this ain't it. And no, and she gave marriage a break and instead had an affair with a married man. He ended the relationship because she wanted them to have a threesome with his wife. Oh, <laughs> no. I guess he wanted to keep the affair on the down low. Well, and, yeah. And she, Charlene was like, let's include her. Let's bring her in. Let's have like, a throuple. Yeah, and he's like, Abs- I don't want this girl by. And she attempted suicide after this breakup. <sighs> but she found love again. She met a man named Gerald. Gerald was born on July 17, 1946, and he had a pretty rough childhood, so it's going to get pretty dark real fast. His mom was a sex worker who always had a different boyfriend, and all the boyfriends had no issue with beating Gerald as a kid. That's terrible. He was also sexually abused by several of his mother's clients. Oh my god. Yeah. He never had much food in the house and was always dirty. I read in one article he was always pleading to be held and hugged, which is so sad. Oh my god. His father was never in his life, but he was a known criminal who was the first man to be executed in Mississippi by the gas chamber in 1955. He killed a police officer during a prison escape. Oh shit. Yeah, but he never knew him, but that's kind of... That's kind of wild. And we talk about the cycle of crime and abuse. The story's not different. At the age of 10, Gerald was arrested for robbing a neighbor's house. Then, when he was 12, he sexually abused a six-year-old girl that got him sent to a California Youth Authority facility. Over the years, he would rack up 23 arrests involving robbery. He worked as a bartender and truck driver and had a string of messy romances. He was married a total of seven times. Two of those marriages were to the same woman. Oh, my Lord. But he would leave them as soon as the woman ran out of money. So he was purely using these women. On September 10th, 1977, Charlene met Gerald at a poker club in Sacramento. He was still legally married at the time, but within a week of meeting, they rented a house and moved in together. Mm-mm. Yep, just a week. After a couple of months of living together, Gerald brought home a 16-year-old dancer, and they had a threesome. Oh, 16? Yeah. And Charlene was all about threesomes. Well. But it was a threesome, but his rule was that the women touched him only. They could not touch each other. Well, that defeats the purpose of yeah, a threesome. Like, that's just- I've heard. <laughs> It's just sex with two women interchangeably, kind of. I don't know. I don't know the rules, but. Now my mind's going, how, I mean, but then you have to, and then your head's here. And then I don't know. It's like, that's not. Well, Charlene didn't like that arrangement. And one day he got home from work to find them in bed together. Well, of course. So what did he do? He threw the girl out the window and then beat Charlene. I don't think the girl died from this, but. Jeez. They were out a window. Yeah. And then after this, to punish Charlene, he refused to have any more sex with her. And this part is so awful. I'm sorry. Oh, there's worse? Yes. So he had a daughter 
Oh, Lacey. As soon as he stopped having sex with Charlene, he began sodomizing his 14-year-old daughter and her friend. And this is worse. Charlene knew about it. I don't know that she was in the room or anything, but she knew this was happening. This may be a ridiculous question, and if so, cut it out. But why... Why did he choose sodomies? He just I thought that maybe it wasn't. He well, he did that to Charlene a lot as well. That was kind of his kink. Well, I mean, he was abused. Yeah. So yeah, maybe. Uh, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Uh, and her friend. Yeah. I'd I'd have to not be her friend anymore. God, who knows? I don't know. I don't know if he threatened them or what. Right. Awful. And after a year of not having sex with Charlene, he told her he required a pair of sex slaves to keep him interested. And it was her job to find them, and she accepted the task. To keep him interested in her? Yeah. Like... But he's not touched her. Exactly. So I'd be like, kiss my ass. I'm not doing shit for you. I And I don't know why she does. On June 26th, 1978... 16-year-old Sandra K. Butler was last seen in Sparks, Nevada, across from her family's apartment, making her way to the Greenbrier Shopping Center. Her plans that day were to bike to the Reno Rodeo at the Washoe County Fairgrounds. That very day, Gerald and Charlene were at the same fair in Nevada. Authorities believe Sandra was their first victim, but they've never confessed to it. At the time, police thought she was a runaway and didn't do much to find her. It was the 70s, you know. Yeah, everybody just Every, runs away. Everyone's a runaway. Who cares? Gerald and Charlene weren't on their radar at all at the time and were never interviewed by police. And to this day, her remains have not been found. Sandra was between 5 foot and 5'1 and weighed around 110 pounds. She's a Caucasian female with light brown hair and brown eyes. She was known by the nickname Sandy, and today, if alive, would be 61 years old. So on September 10th, 1978, Charlene tricked 16-year-old Kippy Vaught and 17-year-old Rana Scheffler from a mall in Sacramento to get them in the back of their van. Gerald grabbed them once they were inside and threatened them by gunpoint not to scream. That night, they were repeatedly assaulted, and sexually abused by Gerald. The next day, he drove them to a ditch across from a remote field and hit Kippy with a tire iron. Oh, my God. Yeah, this guy is brutal. And then he began beating Rhonda with it. Then he shot them each with his twenty-five caliber pistol in the head. Kippy was only grazed by the bullet somehow, so she attempted to run. Uh Uh-uh. But then he noticed and shot her three more times Girl. in the head. Oh, God. I know. Why you gotta beat somebody and then shoot them? Just, just to be a jerk. Yeah, and I'm talking, I mentioned the rage killing in your case, yeah. but this guy didn't know her and he's right. still just in the head. Sounds like he probably has a lot of rage towards women in general oh, for because sure. of his mom. Yeah, letting, all goes back to that. Yeah, yeah, letting him be abused. Mm-hmm. That's totally true. (sighs) A year later, on June 24th, 1979, Charlene and Gerald kidnapped two girls from the same fair in Nevada, the same one Sandra went missing from. 
14-year-old Brenda Judd and 13-year-old Sandra Colley. They were persuaded to get in the van. They said they were going to pay them to distribute some flyers. While Charlene drove the van, Gerald sexually assaulted them in the back. Then she parked in a remote area. See, again, she's still not getting any sex out of any of this. No, she's just helping him. Yeah. For the next couple of hours, Gerald took a break and watched Charlene force the girls to perform sex acts on each other. After this, he dragged Sandra out of the van, hit her in the head with a shovel. Then he did the same to Brenda. After he murdered them, he dug a pit and threw their nude bodies inside of it. These are little girls. 13 and 14, yeah. Their remains weren't found for another 20 years. 20 years? Yeah, when a tractor operator found them in November of 1999. Oh, my God. 20 years. They're parents. Ugh. Ugh. What an awful Uh -uh. way to go. And this is an interesting dark fact. So, our listener Jeanette, who recommended this case, went to this fair... When she was 13 years old with her best friend, she was there on this very same night. Charlene and Gerald were there. Thankfully, they didn't cross paths that night or any other night in the future. But she's like, they were finding girls, you know, that needed fair money to just say, hey, put some flyers on some cars for us or whatever. Uh, I would have done that. She said, she's like, I likely would have done it for some fair money. I would have too. Oh, so scary. On April 24th, 1980, Charlene approached two 17-year-old girls named Stacy Ann Redican and Karen Chipman Twiggs and asked if they wanted to smoke some weed with her. They're like, yeah, sure. So she led them to the back of the van, and then there was Gerald holding them at gunpoint. And again, Charlene drove them around while he raped and assaulted the girls in the back. I don't know how they never got pulled over, you know, in all the times they were doing this. Then he had Charlene drive to a secluded area and led the girls one at a time into the woods, carrying a hammer and a shovel. On July 27th, 1980, picnickers discovered the remains of Karen and Stacy in two shallow graves 20 miles outside of Lovelock, Nevada. They had both been raped and suffered massive and fatal head injuries by a blunt instrument. That's got to be, I mean, I couldn't even imagine being led into the woods. You know you're going to die. You know you're going to die. But if you run, you're going to die. He has a gun. But it's like as soon as they got into the van. It was over. He was going to kill them either way. He had a gun. Yeah. On June 6, 1980 in Port Orford, Oregon. 21-year-old Linda Teresa Aguilar was hitchhiking. And out of all the people in the world to pick her up, it was Gerald and Charlene. (sighs) Linda was four months pregnant at the time and was reported missing on June 20th and found two days later by tourists. Her wrists and ankles were bound with cord and her skull was broken. And an autopsy revealed she had been buried alive because sand was found in her mouth, throat, and nose. Oh my god. He's just a monster. And just a month later, this is just wild. It's like no one's onto them them at all. He's a serial killer. They're getting yeah, they're getting away with this. The, yeah. We're just in the eighties now. Yeah. 
So a month later, on July 17, 1980, 31-year-old Virginia Mockle was abducted from the parking lot of a West Sacramento tavern where she worked as a bartender. This time, they actually knew who she was, kind of. She had been their bartender a lot of times. She was sexually assaulted by Gerald, then he strangled her and left her body by a pond. Her remains were found three months later, and the nylon fishing line was still bound around her neck. Four months later, on November 1st, 1980, 22-year-old Craig Miller and his fiancée, 21-year-old Mary Elizabeth Sowers, were forced into their van after leaving a frat party. First time they've kidnapped a man, which is interesting because they didn't use him for sex at all. They drove to a remote location. Gerald told Craig to get out of the car. Then he immediately shot him in the back of the head. <sighs> like, no purpose of needing a couple. No. So, no. He's just, like you said, he's just a monster. He truly did not care. Then he fired two more shots in his head to make sure he was dead. In front of Mary. Then he told Charlene to drive them back to the apartment. And there he raped Mary for hours. After this, he ordered Charlene to drive to a rural area in Placer County, California. Once they arrived, he ordered her out of the car and shot her three times at point-blank range. <sighs> well, this time was different because a friend witnessed the van and the two getting mm -hmm. in the van, and he reported the license plate. The police were able to track the van down. Gerald and Charlene pleaded not guilty to charges of kidnapping and murder. Charlene's attorneys were eventually able to convince prosecutors in several states and counties to allow Charlene to testify against Gerald for a plea deal, which reduced her prison sentence to 16 years and eight months. That's it? That's it. <sighs> Ten, maybe plus, murders. In June 1983, Gerald was sentenced to death in California for the murders of Mary Beth Sowers and Craig Miller. In June, Gerald was convicted in Nevada for the murders of Karen Twiggs and Stacy Redekin and sentenced to death. The Nevada sentence was overturned in 97, but in 2002, Gerald died of rectal cancer in a Nevada prison while awaiting execution anyway. Still, he got off the hook easy, in my opinion. Yeah. In July of 1997, Charlene completed her sentence and was released. So she's out and about, has been out and about for over 20 years. So how old was she when she was released? Do you know? Oh, gosh. Do I'm some not math. sure. <laughs> her birthday was in the early 60s. It's. She'd be like, she'd be in her early 60s. She'd be in her early 60s yeah. now. Her. But she got out when she was in her 40s. Mm-hmm. Yep. The fuck? While in prison, she extensively studied psychology, business, and Icelandic literature. During an interview, she claimed she was also a victim when she said, There were victims who died and victims who lived. It's taken a hell of a long time to realize I'm one of the ones who lived. And she also claimed that she tried to save some of their lives. I don't believe that. I I hate to I hate to say that. I I agree, and I don't believe it either. Mm -hmm. I, there's just something about reading about it and researching. I'm just like she didn't explain why she how she tried to help ever. She didn't elaborate ever. She's just like I was his victim, and I tried to help him. I just how 
You were always the getaway driver. There were so many. You lured people in. They wouldn't have even came if you weren't there. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. They see a couple mm-hmm. and they instantly feel safe because there's another woman there. Yeah. Mm-mm. And as far as I can tell, she's still in Sacramento under a completely new name. She claims she's giving back to charity and only doing good. I guess none of us will know for sure if she actually tried to save them. I lean toward probably not, but it's possible. I I don't know. It's just no one even almost survived. No, you know? they didn't even have a chance. They were screwed no matter what. Like as soon as she lured them there, it was over. Mm-hmm. Just I'm like, man, this is really depressing. Jeanette said she has never heard a podcast cover this case. I've not ever heard of it. I didn't search for any, so they could have by now. I don't know. But kind of crazy that she was at this fair It's hard to say because this was back in the 70s, but a lot of people considered them to be an attractive couple. How do you spell Gallego? G-A-L-L-E-G-O. They look like a normal, like, suburban white couple is how I would describe them. Yeah. On a lighter note, we have a couple of new patrons. Oh, awesome. Yeah. We have Shelly W. from Louisiana. I haven't put her pin in yet. There's only one other Louisiana. Look in at there. that. Yeah, thank you. And we have Deidre B. We're not sure where she's from yet. Doesn't matter. But if you want some stickers, just DM us your mailing address. Thanks for joining. And I was going back through the list of active patrons. I cannot remember if I gave a shout out to Diana W. I don't remember. But if not, thank you, Diana from Kansas. And if we haven't sent you stickers, hit us up. I have pregnancy brain right now. I'm losing track of everything. (laughs) I'm like, did I say anything about Diana? I don't remember. So for patrons, we'll have a spooky episode coming out before or by Halloween. I say we should release it on Halloween. That's a good idea. Everyone needs some pizzazz on their Tuesday. Yeah. It sucks it's on a Tuesday. I agree. But. Yeah. We got more scary movie wrecks, too. Well, let me tell you. I'm glad you brought this up. Did you watch Boogeyman? Not yet. Zero out of ten stars. <gasps> oh, no. Not good. I couldn't follow it. It seemed just... Like I, complicated or it boring? Just, or... It was just trying too hard. Oh, okay. And... Hmm. Um, then I might put that on my back burner for now. Yeah. Um, and I watched... Aftermath, too. Mm-hmm. That was one that suggested. Have you seen that? I haven't seen it yet. Mm. Very predictable. Just not your your type not of Not my type. I'm like over here like Siskel and Ebert. But <laughs> I, I wasn't in love with it either. Okay. I did watch the uh, John Carpenter show on Peacock. Have you seen it? Is Suburban Screams. I've seen the ad and it looks good. It's really good. It's I have like such, six stories or oh, six different episodes, yeah. six different, and they're all different. It's pretty good. I've just been going to bed so early. I don't have yeah. time to watch. No, I get it. When I'm breastfeeding or whatever, I'll be <laughs> watching all the scary stuff. When you're I'll, healing. Yeah, when I'm healing and I have no, nowhere else to go and it's but a snowing couch. snowing outside. I'll be like, thank God I can catch up on oh, all the scary, all the scary stuff. stuff. And the baby won't understand. No, He's too young. They don't. They don't. They don't. No. Huh. Have you seen any Fallen in the House of Usher? Oh, 
Yes. Please tell me because I haven't watched any. Oh Do you my love gosh. It? We're about to, I think we're on the fourth or fifth oh, shit. episode so far. You're really binging it. It's different than the other stuff. Like it's not like the Bly Manor or whatever. It's not. It's not. It's more thriller jump scares. Oh, good. <laughs> not as like solemn and spooky. Okay. It's hard to explain, but there's a lot of Poe references. Oh, good. Like a lot of, I mean, it's based on a short story, but even within each episode, it's kind of based on a different poem. And I didn't even realize that until I was researching for the Patreon episode about black cats. The episode I just watched, Pluto the Black Cat, is based on another Edgar Allan Poe short. It's Anyway, it's just all intertwined. I like that. But it's very interesting so far. A lot of... uh we all binge Gruesome it. deaths. Binge it this weekend when I'm home. Yeah. So, we're, so I mean, our, Samuel's watching it too. What's he our new movie, it. Rex? I'm going to get a pen so I can write them down. Teresa S. said a great low-budget movie is The Vigil. And it Vigil? stars Dave Davis. He's on True Detective, The Walking Dead, some other stuff I can't remember off the top of my head. But The Vigil. Our new patron, Shelly, recommended Session 9. I've seen it. It's been a while, but that's a good one. Yeah, you you suggested that before. Yeah, I like that one. And then Nick DM'd us and said, we need to be on the lookout for the movie called Dream Scenario. Have you heard of this? No. It comes out in November, and he said it's like a prequel of Nightmare on Elm Street. Shut and up. And stars Nicolas Cage. What? Yeah, I'm, I have not seen previews at all. But he's like, not. check out the trailer. But thanks, um, guys, for yeah. their recommendations. Yeah, I want to. Uh, I'm in. I'm in for it. Yeah, we need. Um, we need some good ones. We went to. Uh, it was supposed to be scary movie trivia on Friday the thirteenth. <sighs> a bunch of us went to Camp Taco. Not a sponsor, but should be. Yeah, which it was fun. It was fun, but it was not no. all horror trivia. They no they- sports. Random things. Yeah, they did like one horror movie question a per, section yeah. or something. And then it was like sports and other shit. Science. That, and regular trivia. Regular trivia. And they just like threw a little bit of horror in there. Boom. Mm-hmm. Needed to be all scary stuff. It did. I was – and they only advertised it as horror movie, so. <sighs> they tricked us. Yeah. We still won, though. We did win. <laughs> Out of a lot of teams. Tw- what, one time they read it and it was like 22 teams yeah, or something. We, started, we were at 10th place at one point. We were 15th at one point. One of our friends wrote down the wrong secret. <sighs> like they give hints every time. He wrote down the wrong hint or and something. And bet like nine points. And bet the mo- He was like, yep, this is the answer. I looked it up already. Bada bing, bada boom. Immediately wrong. fired. And we're like, what? <laughs> Take his pen. <laughs> But we 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 came we back won. and won. Yeah, I was shocked. I'm like, I was too. It was it was a lot of fun. It was still fun, but it would have been. They could have done all horror movies. It would have been so easy. I don't know why they didn't. They need to do a horror movie trivia. Or so if you you've never been to Singo yet, no. But I know the gist. So each week, or I'm sorry, not each week, but each round mm-hmm. is a different theme. That's so cool. it may be like disco divas or mm-hmm. 80s one hit wonders. They need to do trivia like that where this whole first round is nothing but horror. 
I know they could do movies. They could yes. do uh, horror, serial killers, slashers, yes. boogeyman. I mean, let's stop talking. Demons. We can do this. We could do it. <laughs> we I could mean, do this. Golly. Let's stop talking. <laughs> I like the demons. I like you threw that in there. De- demons. <laughs> Have you seen the new Exorcist? Still no. I think I'm gonna. You know, I'm gonna be home mm-hmm. all weekend, so I think I'm going to rent it. I'm just gonna break down and rent it. I don't blame I you. Can't find anybody to watch it with me. And I'm like, I, I don't would, pay. but I'm just always, <laughs> I'm never home right now. No, I mean, like, even at the movie theaters, I just feel like it's, first of all, it's very expensive. When I went and watched, well, you just went and saw Taylor Swift's mm-hmm. thing. I almost wanted to watch The Exorcist afterwards. I'm like, no, I've been in here for three hours. <laughs> I can't do I'm it. I tried to get our friend to go after we watched The Nun and just over into The Exorcist. He's like, no, girl, I already have sleep with my lights on. I'm like, oh, oh my gosh. Lord. I'm always surprised by how many people are afraid of scary movies. I am too. I love them, but I just, uh, I've just been busy lately. I'm going to be in Kansas City going to a Chiefs game this week. I'm just joking. I'm going to. I, a- I literally can't. <laughs> oh my God. I, my face I'm not going right to lie. I was like, wait. We're what? going for an engagement party for Samuel's best friend from college. But I did ask Samuel, are there any Chiefs games this weekend? And he's like, yeah. Not in Kansas City. Yeah, on there Sunday, is? but we're yeah, leaving all- early. Uh. I think it starts at like 3. He's like, yeah, we can't. We can't make it back in time. I'm like, well, oh. it's five hours. You could get back, but it'd be late. Yeah. Because they're not, it's not going to last that long. I know. I'm like, well, what could they possibly cost? $15? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> yeah, I'm right. just joking. But I'm like, it could be. <laughs> You're going to be so close to her. I know. I'm maybe. Like, I'm like, maybe we could just drive by Travis Kelsey's house. <laughs> I'm like listening to his podcast now. It's, uh, it's uh, shameless. Oh, it's are obsessed. It's hilarious because she was with Joe for what, six, seven years I didn't Google him once. I don't even know what his job is. Does Why? he have a job? I don't know. Literally didn't care of him at all. I don't all. listen or follow her. I, so I, I was don't. always like, oh, I don't really care about her personal life until now. Why? I don't know why. Because he's a football player? Is this forbidden fruit? No, but it's just like. What if she marries him? <gasps> I'm here for it. I stand it. I've actually defended him to people on Instagram. I'm like, what do I care? I'm like, look, I've tried to dig up dirt on him. Oh, And I can't find God. scandals on this guy. That's I've tried. so funny. But it's also coming after Maddie Healy, who I d- did not like at all. But anyway, I'm very invested in this you relationship. Really are. I'm like, they're giving me life right now. Oh, my God. I'm like watching TikToks of someone analyzing how they're holding hands and their body language. That's all I do all morning. Killing me. I'm into this relationship a lot. So what are you leaving? Friday, Friday. night. Why? After Samuel gets off work. Oh, stupid. Yeah. Well, how can you leave Friday night and go there, but you can't leave Sunday night to come back? I agree. I agree. <sighs> Sam. I'm like, we can just go by... <laughs> Travis Kelsey's modest million dollar home. Yeah, million dollar home. I'm like, <laughs> get out of town. That house is more than that. Come on. Uh, yeah. Well, I have, anyway, I need to go to the pumpkin patch still. I haven't been. I haven't been either. You have got to go to the pumpkin patch and get cute baby pictures. Oh, baby mm-hmm. bump pictures. Of my pumpkin. Yeah. You've got to. I haven't thought about that. We need to do that one weekend. We only have what. <laughs> one weekend and I'm gone well next weekend's my Halloween party but that's well I don't know oh my gosh Halloween has snuck up on me it seems like there's just too much stuff going on this month yeah so 
Anyways, we're in uh, Montana next week. All right. Which is exciting, maybe. I'm I gonna, always have a hard time finding cases I know. there. I'm going to try to find a, a fucking mountain demon. I don't know. A mountain <laughs> demon. There's got to be something. It's up there by Canada. There's probably a, a so Yeti demon. A, something. North Dakota. Come on. Come oh, on. Oh, boy. All cold, right. cold demons. Anyway. Bye. Bye.